Coming out flat out of their bye week, the Seahawks suffered a disappointing loss to the Raiders in overtime on Sunday. I'm going to be breaking down the second consecutive defeat that knocked the Seahawks out of the playoff picture on our latest postcast of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Special thanks to all the 12s out there who've made Locked On Seahawks their first listen five, even six days a week. And of course, our new listeners, welcome aboard. Looking forward to breaking down, unfortunately, a second consecutive defeat for the Seahawks. They were hoping to have some momentum coming out of their bye week. They were fresh, well-rested, but looked pretty sloppy at times in today's game at Lumen Field. And unfortunately, those mistakes led to a 40-34 to overtime loss to the Raiders at Lumen Field. I'm going to be breaking down key storylines from that game, dishing out my weekly game balls, and of course, our studs and duds for the week on three up, three down. Let's get to it. This postcast is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Pick two to five players, and if they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on your entry. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. That's prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. Now for your lead story here on our weekly postcast of Locked On Seahawks. Is it September? Because it sure felt like it, other than the weather, of course, today, a bit cooler than it was in September. But as far as defensive football, the Seahawks looked like they did in the first five games of the season when opponents were gashing them on the ground and racking up huge chunks of yards, both in the passing game and running game. The Raiders racked up 586 total yards of offense today at Lumen Field. That's the third most the Seahawks have allowed in a single game in franchise history. Certainly not the performance that Pete Carroll and his coaching staff were looking for from their defense coming out of the bye week. And after a somewhat disappointing effort against the Buccaneers in Munich, they were expecting better. But this was more the same looking back at the beginning of the season, and the Raiders were able to capitalize on it. In particular, they were dominant on the ground. Josh Jacobs with a fantastic effort, 303. I had to do a double take on that. 303 all-purpose yards by Josh Jacobs today, including an 86-yard game-winning touchdown in overtime. It was the Raiders' second possession. The Seahawks actually forced a missed field goal on the Raiders' first possession to open overtime, and the Seahawks had a chance to go down and win the game with a field goal, but that did not happen. The Raiders got the ball back very first play on that possession. Jacobs has a hole in front of him that a semi could have drove through, breaks a tackle attempt by Josh Jones, and he's gone. And, oh, by the way, Derek Carr, even though he threw two interceptions, had 295 passing yards and three touchdowns. So the Raiders were able to do a little bit of anything that they wanted to do on the offensive side of the football. But really, you look at this game. The run defense continues to be the Achilles heel for this Seahawks defense. And they had that four-game winning streak where they did a much better job shutting down opposing running games. But it's starting to look like that was more about the opponents they were playing than necessarily the defense turning the corner defending the run. Because think about it, two of those four games were against the Cardinals and they were missing their best offensive lineman in Rodney Hudson. 
They had James Conner out for one of those two games. They're not necessarily known for having great running back play anyway. Their rushing offense a lot of the time is Kyler Murray scrambling around. So you consider those two games the fact the Chargers were missing a bunch of offensive linemen when they played in L.A. And then the other matchup in there, the Giants, I thought the Giants just came out with a bad game plan and they weren't giving the ball to Saquon Barkley. And when they started to do so, the Seahawks were able to shut him down in part because the Giants don't have a passing game that you have to respect. That is not the case, though, with the Las Vegas Raiders. You've got Devontae Adams on the outside. Fabian Moreau made some big plays, including a touchdown to tie the game in the fourth quarter. And Derek Carr is a much better quarterback than what Daniel Jones is. And so when you have to worry about that kind of a passing game, you can't sell out against the run. And Josh Jacobs, even when the Seahawks did do that, they stopped him a few times. They had a couple fourth down stops in this game, but 33 carries over 225 rushing yards, a big chunk of that coming on that overtime touchdown run to win the game. But you know, 30 yard touchdown run as well. The tackling was bad. The run fits, as Pete Carroll talked about, were not there. They have just struggled chronically this season with their run fits. And you could see it as the game progressed. The first quarter they had uh, Jacobs bottled up. He only had 18 rushing yards and seven carries. But from that point on, the Raiders stuck with their run game. The holes started to get bigger. They started to make some adjustments, start doing more two-back stuff. And the Seahawks have not shown they can defend a traditional two-back offense that wants to run the football downhill against them. And they had to happen in Munich, the Buccaneers did that to them. And of course, the Raiders followed suit. Hey, the Buccaneers were able to do this. We've got a lot more talent running the football than what the Buccaneers do. And they took full advantage. You add in the missed tackles, the poor pursuit angles. This defense, it's really disappointing to see the step back that they've taken here. And I think the other thing that's really disappointing, not just the run defense, but the third down defense, and some of that has to do with the run defense leading to that because the Raiders were able to do it today. The Buccaneers did it a couple weeks ago. When you're able to run the ball successfully on first and second down and you set up third and short opportunities, it's a lot easier to move the chains. And the Raiders were able to do that consistently today. In the first half alone, they went five for seven on third down. Meanwhile, the Seahawks struggled mightily once again on third down, and they were able to move the chains quite a few times on earlier downs, but third down is an issue offensively, and part of it, they couldn't run the football. The Raiders were able to, and some of the issues on third down also revolved around the pass rush, and I think that's the other thing that's worrisome coming out of this game for the Seahawks, and I said it earlier this week on the podcast. I was confident that the pass rush that we saw in that four-game winning streak was going to be able to be sustained, and early on, the Seahawks were able to get some pressure on Derek Carr. Puna Ford sacked him. Uchenna Nuosu actually knocked him out of the game for a play. It looked like he maybe just had the wind knocked out of him, but he was down for a second. Trainers had to come out and look at him, and Jarrett Stidham came in for a play. So the Seahawks were able to get some pressure on Carr early, and then after that point, they couldn't get any pressure on him. They had one quarterback hit in the final two quarters and overtime. That was Bruce Irvin. They were not able to get any other hits against him. And he was able to sit back there on third and four, third and five situations multiple times, make multiple reads and get the ball out. And he didn't have any issues. So the pass rush is also an issue because that has been the last two games regressed back to the beginning of the season, just like the run defense in general. There's a lot to be concerned with on defense. If you would have told me going into this game that Devontae Adams is going to be held to seven catches for 74 yards and no touchdowns, I would have felt pretty good about Seattle's chances of winning this football game. 
if they didn't get completely dominated by the Raiders run game. And obviously Josh Jacobs had over 70 receiving yards to go with his 229 rushing yards. And so the inability to slow down the running back and Amir Abdullah had an 18 yard touchdown, the backup running back on a wheel route, not being able to slow down running backs in general, it doomed the Seahawks in this game. They missed some opportunities in the red zone themselves early in the game where they would have scored six points instead of three. We don't even have to worry about overtime, but it kept the Raiders in the football game. There were some critical mistakes made down the stretch on offense as well. Pass rush was able to get home in Geno Smith, something the Seahawks couldn't do with Derek Carr. And ultimately, you add all those factors together. You don't have a pass rush. You can't run the ball yourself. Uh, your quarterback's under duress. That is a bad recipe against a Raiders team that I've been talking about all week. They were 3-7, and seven, but they've got real star power on that roster. They've got three true all-pro caliber talents, and really all three of them had great games. Adams, maybe not the best game of the season, but he still had some key third-down receptions. Jacobs was spectacular, and Max Crosby had one-and-a-half sacks. Really wreaked havoc in the second half and overtime getting after Geno Smith. So those three really took over the game. The Seahawks didn't have answers for them. And that was a big reason why they are now six and five and they're outside of the playoff picture. They're now a full game and a half, including the tiebreaker behind the 49ers in the NFC West. And Washington has leapfrogged them into the final wildcard spot. So they're on the outside looking in with six games left to play. They got to clean things up. Or this might be a situation where they could go into next week against the Rams on the road. Might not be as easy of a game as what they think it's going to be going into that contest. It's time to really figure things up, figure things out. If they don't, uh, they're going to be in a world of hurt. And a really promising season might start to slip away from them. But we'll see. Don't want to overreact to one game, obviously. Coming up next, going to dish out my game balls for Week 12. There were certainly some players that had really good games for the Seahawks, putting up 34 points. And they had a couple of turnovers they forced. So going to get to those game balls on offense, defense, and special teams coming up next on our postcast edition of Locked on Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is releasing a slate of new football podcasts that we're sure you're going to love. Find Block Forever wherever you get your podcast. Block Forever is a brand new podcast from former NFL All-Pro Ryan Khalil and Audible. Khalil takes the conversation about football to the next level by giving football fans an insider's look at the game through the eyes of one of the greatest players and personalities of all time. Khalil sits down with star players, coaches, and former pros across the league to get real about what happens on the field and behind the scenes, inside locker rooms, during team meetings, and back at the hotel. You'll hear from players such as Christian McCaffrey, who talks about his love-hate relationship with fantasy football, and Juju Smith-Schuster on his honest opinions on other players and positions in the league. Catch the full Block Forever series, available anywhere you get podcasts, available everywhere now, Audible, get in the game. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks postcast podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And of course, a welcome to our new listeners. Glad to have you on board and hope you'll become a regular listener for our Seahawks coverage. Let's get to our game balls. A disappointing effort for the Seahawks today at Lumen Field. Facing a 3-7 and seven Raiders team, giving up 40 points, losing in overtime. Certainly not what they were hoping for coming out of their bye week. They were sloppy on both sides of the football. There were some big plays made by the Seahawks, though. And at times, especially late in the fourth quarter, it looked like they were going to be able to find a way to win this one. 
unfortunately did not happen. Let's get to our game balls. There were a few players that were in consideration on offense. There were mistakes made across the board as well. Even though they scored 34 points, it felt like a game they could have scored in the 40s, maybe even 50 points if they could have gotten rid of the mistakes. There was a lot of self-inflicted wounds for this offense. And Geno Smith was not omitted from that, but Geno Smith still had a very good game, 328 passing yards two touchdowns. This was while being under constant duress, especially late in the game. And I don't think this is one of those cases. There might've been a few plays where he held onto the ball a bit too long, but there was immediate pressure coming after him, particularly with Max Crosby coming off the edge late in the game and the overtime uh, possession getting after him really didn't have time to get rid of the football. So I'm not going to put too much of that onus on him, at least at this point. Maybe I'll go back and watch the All-22 and change my mind. He obviously threw an interception in the first half that was a bad pick. Doesn't sound like that was all on him. The receivers, including Tyler Lockett, didn't necessarily have the right route combination there, and that got messed up. Pete Carroll said after the game he probably shouldn't have thrown it. He had another interception in the end zone. They got overturned. It was the correct call, but that should have been a pick. It was a bad decision with pressure bearing down on him. Had a muffed handoff in the uh, fourth quarter to Ken Walker the third that ended up being a turnover that cost him at least three points. So Geno Smith did not play perfect by any means. There were obvious mistakes made by him. And at the same time, as he's done time and time again this year, when he did have adversity, he came punching back with his own haymaker. For example, the interception he threw in the second quarter, Josh Jacobs on the very next play goes from 30 yards out, scores a touchdown. Suddenly it's 21 to 13. The Raiders are up eight. Geno comes right back and leads the Seahawks down the field, throws a perfect rainbow to Tyler Lockett, a 35-yard touchdown, and it's a one-point game. In the second half, it's 27-27. Geno leads the team right down, and they score. This was after the botched handoff to Ken Walker third. He redeems himself with his second touchdown going to Travis Homer. So it's Geno Smith's ability to have short-term memory and turn the page from those mistakes. It was not a game that he played at his very best. There were crucial mistakes made. Wasn't able to will his team to a victory late, and that's maybe the biggest issue that Seahawks fans have with Geno Smith at this point is there's been games dating back to last year when he was taking over for Russell Wilson for three games. There were games there like New Orleans and Pittsburgh where they had opportunities to win late and Geno couldn't get the team over the hump. Wasn't able to do that today, but still had a very good game without much of a run game to speak of to compliment him. Pass rushers bearing down on him, still able to throw for almost 330 yards, a couple of touchdowns, and 73% completion rate. It was still a very impressive performance by him, and they scored enough points. Geno Smith played more than well enough to win this football game. The defense just let them down. Meanwhile, the defensive side of the ball, the defense did make some big plays, particularly early, and you couldn't have asked for a better start. Literally, the first play from scrimmage, Derek Carr is going out to his left, and he leads Devontae Adams just a little bit too far. And guess who's waiting for his first interception of the season? That's Quandre Diggs, a player that has maybe been under a little bit of fire lately from fans because we haven't seen those impact plays from him. Well, he had two interceptions on the Raiders' first three possessions this game. And Derek Carr had five picks on the entire season going into this game. So for Diggs to pick this game for a breakout, to have two interceptions, that's not something that I necessarily anticipated was going to happen. And the Seahawks were able to get 10 points, probably could have had 14 points. 
off of those two turnovers. And kind of like Geno Smith, it was not a perfect game for Quandre Diggs. Sandwiched in between those two interceptions, he got beat on a wheel route by uh, Abdullah, the backup running back uh, behind Josh Jacobs. And it looked like he thought he was going to break inside and then got his hips turned. And then Abdullah just took off down the sideline on a wheel route and got a couple steps on Diggs and he ended up getting burned on that play. But overall, this was easily the best game of the season for Quandre Diggs. And he put the Seahawks in a position to get an early lead with the two turnovers that he created. Had a very solid game overall. So, yeah, gave up a touchdown in coverage. But where would the Seahawks have been in this game without the two interceptions that he had? Clearly was the MVP of the defense, played his best game of the season. Hopefully he can turn that into a really strong second half of the season. One more interception and he'll be the only player six years in a row to have at least three picks. And so he's got a chance to continue building his resume, even if the numbers haven't necessarily been there for him this season. He's notoriously been a really good second half player with interceptions. This might be the precursor that leads to that happening again in 2022. And last but not least on special teams, this is the easy one. You could have mentioned a couple other guys on defense that made some big plays. Quandre Diggs, though, clearly MVP. Geno Smith had a monster day statistically. On special teams, it really has become almost boring how good Jason Myers has been this year, and that continued in this game with him going two for two on field goals and making all of his PATs. He has been as automatic as any kicker in the NFL this season. He still only has one missed field goal in the entire season, and his PATs, that has been an area in his career where he's been surprisingly poor I think he has more missed PATs than any active kicker in the NFL, but he's been much better in that regard this season. He has been automatic going into free agency, and he plays much better in even years. Statistically, that's what it shows 2020. He was awesome for the Seahawks last year, regressed some. 2018 with the Jets was a pro bowler, so he's taking full advantage of that and backing up that narrative that he kicks better in even years, and he continues to get the job done. And really, his kicks gave the Seahawks a great opportunity, not only to stay in this game, but also to win this football game. And unfortunately, the defense, again, really was the letdown for the Seahawks in this game, giving up all that yardage. Special teams was pretty good. Offense, they had their mistakes, but still put up 34 points. That should be good enough to win the game. Myers continues to play his way into the discussion for a new contract right now. The Seahawks would be thinking, hey, let's give him another multi-year contract. He is certainly earning it with the way that he's playing right now. So kudos to Jason Myers for bouncing back from a pretty difficult 2021 season. And right now, he deserves to be in the discussion as a Pro Bowl, maybe even an all-pro kicker with how efficient he's been, particularly on longer kicks this year, still 5 for 5 from 50-plus yards. Coming up next, going to wrap up our postcast with our weekly studs and duds, our three up, three down, which players bolstered their stock, which ones disappointed in this loss to the Raiders. Going to get to that here in a moment on our Locked on Seahawks postcast. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. We're officially in week 12 of the 2022 season, and I'm banking on Jonathan Taylor ripping off 125 rushing yards and a touchdown against the Steelers on Monday Night Football. With Prize Picks, it's easy to play daily fantasy and put your entries to the test. Pick two to five players. If they score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people, it's just you. First of the projections available, Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, even boxing. 
Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Safe and fast withdrawals currently operational in over 30 states as well as Canada. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code locked on. If you deposit $100, Prize Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Prize Picks will give you $50. Don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up. For an instant deposit match up to $100. You're listening to the weekly Locked On Seahawks postcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, especially those of you that are not on the West Coast and it's getting super late in the evening. Thanks for listening to Locked On Seahawks. We greatly appreciate it. It's time to dish out our weekly studs and duds. Now, in the past, there's been a few games the Seahawks have played extremely well during that four-game winning streak where it was all studs. There's been a few times where it's been difficult to find studs and it's been mostly duds. This week, we've got a very nice blend because it was obviously a good football game. The Seahawks were able to take it in overtime, but the Raiders getting the edge late with an 86-yard touchdown run by Josh Jacobs. Game-winning walk-off 86-yard touchdown. You could hear a needle drop on the turf at Lumen Field after that play happened, but Seahawks are still six and five. Let's get to our studs and duds first with our three up. And going to start that off on the offensive side of the football. Let's give Travis Homer some love. Reserve running back for the Seahawks. He had a couple really nice blitz pickups today in the backfield. But his most notable play came in the fourth quarter. The Seahawks and Raiders deadlocked at 27 apiece. And I thought it was a great play call by Shane Walter and had Travis Homer end up leaking into the flats on a bootleg. It was a speed bootleg and nobody was on Homer. So Geno Smith right out of his boot throws the ball to Travis Homer and a lot of running backs in this case, they would have been along the sideline, had the first down and probably would have stepped out. But Homer did not do that. He saw a cutback lane and finished with authority, ended up bowling his way into the end zone for an 18-yard touchdown reception. That put the Seahawks up seven. At that point, fans in the Lumen Field crowd are feeling pretty darn good about the Seahawks' chances of winning this game. Unfortunately, it didn't happen, but you can't blame Homer. He continues to be a key player on special teams, had that big touchdown, and of course, the couple blitz pickups that were big for the Seahawks today with the pressure that Geno Smith was under. Probably not going to be getting all those points to the board without contributions from the running backs. I thought Ken Walker, the third, blocked pretty well today. Had a nice blitz pickup on Tyler Lockett's touchdown. Speaking of Tyler Lockett, I know that it's not a surprise to see him on this list, but Tyler Lockett, you want to talk about efficient. He did not have near as many catches as DK Metcalf did today, but Metcalf averaged under nine yards per reception Lockett had 68 yards on his three catches. That's more than 22 yards per reception. He had a pair of explosives, that 35-yard touchdown. He kind of talked about it after the game. It didn't look like he had any separation against the cornerback who was playing mere coverage against him. And then at the last minute, I mean, Geno's throwing the ball up in the air uh, before Lockett's even coming out of his break, and Lockett is able at the last second to get those couple steps on the corner. The pass sails perfectly over the top into his hands and get the touchdown. And they had another big play that went for 28 yards later in the game where he caught the ball in the middle of the field, and you get to see some after-the-catch ability, which hasn't necessarily been a strength for Tyler Lockett. A lot of times he does go down to preserve himself, but in this case he had so much space to work with, ended up 
cutting himself loose a little bit and got a bunch of yards after the catch. So I thought Lockett played really well. Would have liked to see a few more targets his way. And obviously the one interception, he got bumped there. Don't know necessarily that was all on him. They had some issues with their route concepts there. But overall, a really solid game for Tyler Lockett. Continues to be one of the most underrated receivers in the NFL. And on defense, let's give some love to big number 97, Puna Ford. It has been a struggle for him at times this year. I've certainly been critical of him at times on this podcast, particularly when it comes to run defense. There have been some games where he's had issues with his Run fits, his gap integrity, he's been hit and miss as a pass rusher. I thought he had a fantastic game today, though. Even with the inability to get after the quarterback, for the most part, for the Seahawks, Ford had a sack, the only sack that the Seahawks got today in the first half on Derek Carr. Had another quarterback hit that forced an incomplete pass as well. Had a couple other promising pressures in this game. He was able to take advantage of the fact that the Raiders' interior offensive line, their two guards were among the worst in the NFL for giving up pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. Didn't see a lot from their other pass-rushing interior defenders in this game, but Puna Ford was the one player that really jumped out. He and Quandre Diggs were the stars of Seattle's defense in this game, and it was nice to see number 97 go out and play as well as he did, given the struggles he's had, how up and down his play has been in this new scheme this season. He had a very strong game and would have liked to see a little bit more pressure from him in the second half, but overall I thought that he played pretty well didn't see him as one of the big issues with the run game issues either. All right, now let's get to the three down. And I don't like to cop out individual players with full groups of players. But in this case, going to have to do that in a couple different ways. First off, looking at the offensive tackles, don't want to pick on the two rookies because they've been so good this season for the Seahawks. And this was a hard matchup for Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross. you got to deal with Max Crosby, who I think is the best pure pass rushing defensive end in the NFL right now. He is a monster. He was destroying Abraham Lucas in particular in the second half today. He was beating him with power. He was beating him with speed. And Geno Smith was getting battered by him to a pulp. Somehow was staying upright and didn't get sacked a bunch, but Crosby still had one and a half sacks. You could tell that Lucas was not playing at 100%. He was listed as questionable with an illness yesterday, and even though he started this game, played the entire game, it just didn't quite look like his usual self. And he got pushed around a little bit by Max Crosby. And I thought Charles Cross didn't necessarily have an awful game, but he gave up some quick pressures on the other side of the line. Neither player was able to move every, anybody in the run game. So this was one of the weaker efforts by the two rookie tackles collectively, protecting Geno Smith, moving guys in the run game. Not the finest hour for these two, and you're going to go through some rookie bumps. But it was a difficult game for those guys, particularly with the edge rushers getting after Geno Smith. Speaking of run blocking, you know, I could cite a couple of individual players on this, but this is a unit problem. It's not just one player. I think the one player that we can say doesn't belong on this list is the running back himself. Ken Walker III had two impressive touchdown runs in this game. The first one happened less than 30 seconds into the game, right after Quandre Diggs' interception. The second play of the Seahawks' drive from 12 yards out, he did a really nice job using his vision to see a cutback lane, bounced it out wide right, got behind the caravan that included Geno Smith out in front of him, got to the sideline, and then dove in front of the pylon for six points. And then in the third quarter, his second touchdown, you can give Abraham Lucas some kudos on this particular play. He helped push the pile that Ken Walker III was paddling through. Four yards out, 
at contact was able to push the pile with the help of some friends. So he had two touchdowns that went for 26 yards. But you look at the rest of the 12 carries that Ken Walker III had in this football game, he had zero net yards on those 12 carries. And that's not on him. I can't tell you how many of those carries that he was getting the football and there was at least one defender already in the backfield. The one player that was destroying their run game today. And not to pick on Austin Blythe, but a lot of times he was the blocker that wasn't able to do his job and keep the guy out of the backfield. Defensive tackle Andrew Billings was a game wrecker in the middle. There were multiple plays where he was hitting Ken Walker the third two or three yards into the backfield. One of those ended up becoming a 13-yard loss because Walker tried to spin out of it, went backwards, and tried to loop his way to the sideline. Didn't end up working out for him. So you have all these losses in the run game that were created by interior penetration. I didn't think that the guards played well in this football game. Phil Haynes got busted for being illegally downfield on a fourth down completion to Tyler Lockett that prevented the Seahawks from possibly scoring a touchdown in the second quarter. They had to settle for a field goal. So I thought the interior offensive line, really the O-line in general, didn't play well. But in the run game, it was a system-wide issue. They were not able to control the line of scrimmage. There was a lot of penetration in the backfield. They weren't winning in their zone schemes with body placement, hand placement, you name it. It's just been rough. And the Seahawks have had their issues with run blocking the last several weeks. They didn't do a good job against the Buccaneers. Ken Walker III had less than 20 rushing yards in that game. And then a couple weeks before that against the Giants, averaged less than three yards per carry in that game. So as Pete Carroll talked about after the game, this unit right now, they're not doing what they need to do to have the balance offensively that he wants to go with Geno Smith in the passing game. There isn't enough consistency, particularly from the offensive line. And the running backs are doing what they can with what's in front of them. But that group right now is not playing very well. And they're struggling to control the line of scrimmage. So they got to get back to the drawing board and try to figure something out there because they need to be less one-dimensional moving forward if they want to start winning football games again. Even with how well Geno Smith played, today would have been a different game if they would have had a little bit more of a running game to go with him. And last but not least, I will go with an individual player, and maybe it's just a cop-out here for a couple of other players that could be on this list. But I thought today was a struggle for Jordan Brooks. He got locked up on a few blocks in this game, wasn't able to disengage, and that was part of the reason there were such big creases for Josh Jacobs to work with out of the backfield. He missed a couple of tackles as well. I don't know the exact number. I'll have to go back and watch the All-22, but I remember two that pop in my head right away. So there were tackles that were left in the field. And he also was in coverage when Fabian Moreau scored the game-tying touchdown late in the fourth quarter. It was third and five in the red zone, and Brooks looked like he was in decent position. Then suddenly he wasn't, and Moreau comes open, and it's a touchdown. I just felt like collectively as a defense, Seahawks had several players that could have been on here, but given his expectations as the leader in the middle, felt like this was a pretty disappointing performance for Jordan Brooks all the way around. Missed tackles, not able to get off blocks. Of course, that touchdown to give him coverage. Maybe had some involvement in the flea flicker touchdown that the Raiders scored in the first half as well. Didn't pick up. Hollins as he went across the field there's certainly some communication things that were played there that may not have been his fault but nonetheless didn't feel like this was a great game in the middle for number 56 meanwhile his teammate Cody Barton might have been a contender to put on the three up had a really nice play that led to Quandre Diggs the second interception a couple nice tackles along the sideline so 
need a little bit better performance from Jordan Brooks. There's no question about it. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be rejoined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. The two of us will dish out our Monday musings, our Monday takeaways, one day after the game, what went wrong for the Seahawks. And of course, we'll dish out some positive as well. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Go Hawks.